So from the book of Colossians, not in order in the book, but from different places in the book, we'll be dealing with a place for faith. And uh, we're going to talk about family, a place for faith. And I was just sitting beside Janet, my sweet wife, and she was singing alto while I was singing uh, lead. And uh, I enjoy singing with her. We've been singing together for a long time. Uh, and it's been a joy these 44 years to uh, journey with her in life. And then Rebecca, my daughter, is over here, and she reminded me as I was about to come up that this is the third anniversary of Graham's near drowning today. And I don't know if you remember where you were. Probably not, but I sure remember where I was when I heard that that nine-month-old had fallen in a bucket and he wasn't breathing. I was sitting in the uh, Starbucks across from the Reagan Center in Washington, D.C., waiting to go in with our team and be recognized on that national stage for our work with foster children here in Louisiana. And I got it from that place and went straight to the airport. And Graham's here today, by the way. He's in the nursery, and uh, he's one of the miracle children that God brought back from the edge of death. So, family's a place for faith, amen? I mean, all of us have our stories. Lieutenant Colonel Frank Moore, good to see you this morning. Got his promotion yesterday from major to lieutenant colonel. And uh, there's a lieutenant colonel with two young children in his arms. He's got everything going his way. <laughs> We're grateful for him. So, family's a place for faith. Work is a place for faith. Culture is a place for faith. Politics is a place for faith now, people. So we're going to talk about that. It's all in the book of Colossians. We're going to be looking at it. The ends of the earth, that's a place for faith. And we'll be looking at that as well as we go through this book. I encourage you not only to read through the book of Colossians, but on Right Now Media, which hundreds of us now access freely. We get free access to it. There's a study we'll be highlighting, a five-week or a five-part study on Colossians. So I want you to take advantage of the time and study this amazing book uh, from your New Testament. I'm in chapter 2 this morning, starting with verse 9. I'm going to look at baptism, a place for faith, okay? Because I'll be baptizing this next uh, Sunday. In fact, we'll have four different people who will be baptizing, if everybody comes, 12 different candidates. And... Uh, Baptism is a place for faith. So I wanted to prepare for next Sunday's uh, celebration of baptism by talking about that this morning from Colossians chapter 2. So I'm going to read the text and then we're going to think together about it, all right? This is verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells or lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is ahead over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. A glorious passage of Scripture, full of wonderful truth, and in the very middle, a sentence about baptism. Baptism's in the middle of these verses. And it appears as a surprise in some ways. Although, not only here, but in Romans chapter 6, in Galatians chapter 3, and other places, as Paul is teaching on what Jesus did for us at the cross, he mentions baptism. And as I reflected on that, I thought, I haven't given Paul credit for this truth. Baptism is more central as an event in the life of Paul and more central as a theological teaching point in the life and teaching of Paul than I thought previously. And so I've made some adjustments in my own mind about the presence of baptism in the teaching about salvation and justification and our life in Christ. Another thing I want you to note about this passage is how often in Christ or in Him are mentioned. This is a theme through these verses and in the book of Colossians. So here we have a central teaching, and it's about baptism. So if you thought, well, baptism's not a big deal, or why should I be baptized? I mean, it's just a ceremony, or baptism isn't that important to me personally. I want you to rethink it, okay? In the light of the authority of Scripture. We try to go back to Scripture and everything we teach and say and believe here at First Baptist. We are centered in the Bible, our standard, our authority for faith and practice right here in the Scripture. So I want you to think about it. And I'm going to do something a little different with this passage. I had outlined something else. Nathan got my new outline early this morning. What I'm going to do is take baptism and go back to verse 9 and then go to verse 15 and go through this text, these two paragraphs, and think about how baptism expresses all of this, okay? So, for instance, baptism declares fullness. That's the first point. Baptism declares fullness. For in Christ lives the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Now, the word fullness is complete and abundant, all right? So it has both those notions in it. And baptism declares the fullness of Christ. You don't walk into the baptistry unless you believe that Jesus is Lord, that He reigns on high, that He is Deity, the fullness of the deity dwells in him in bodily form. So I want to correct any notion you have that Jesus is sort of second to the Father or that he's a little step down from the eternal God. The fullness of deity dwells in Christ. He is fully God. This is the teaching of the church of Jesus Christ through all these centuries. He is fully God. God. And He is abundantly God. He's not just fully God, but in our life, He is sufficient in every way and overflowing in all that He provides. So He is full of all that we need. When you bow your head, 
and you say grace over that meal, you may be thinking about all the blessings that you receive and they are like overflowing. It's like he stretches out his hand to us and it's just overflowing with all the good things that he wants to deliver to our life. And this is his fullness. He is, he is the sufficient one, the abundant one. And the waters of baptism express that. I asked Johnny, our building superintendent, is the baptistry full? And he says, yes, I have filled it up. It takes a lot of water to fill that baptistry. But the challenge we have filling that baptistry is nothing compared to baptistries in the ancient world in that arid place where they built those churches and they baptized people. If you go out there where John the Baptist baptized, there are communities that had tubs and, and uh, containers where people went down in those places and they had ceremonial washings. You can even find these on the top of Masada, which is a surprise. Actually, it's startling. Rains about three inches a year. Masada is 900 feet tall. It's just a pinnacle of rock. The Jewish sect that took a stronghold up there fought off the Roman army for two years. The whole Roman army couldn't unseat them from Masada. It was that remote, and yet they have great vats that they filled up with water, like the size of swimming pools on the top of Masada. And they walked into those waters and had ceremonial washings. And that is the world in which Christians, Christian baptism began in the rivers, in, in the streams, and in that arid land, water was precious. And if you had enough water to plunge somebody under, that was really something. And the, the picture of baptism is abundance. It is abundant water, enough to bury you in so that you're dripping wet when you're done. Baptism declares this fullness. In Christ, His completion, His abundance, and in you, you walk into the waters of baptism, believing that Christ has completed in you the work God intended in your life, that this is the purpose and plan of God for you, that you have become part of the family of God through faith in Christ, that he completes you, that his fullness is sufficient for you, and that this is an abundant life which God gives to you. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly, that it may be full and overflowing. So we walk into the waters of baptism, believing and knowing that Christ has completed us, that we are complete in him, and that his blessings are overflowing in our life. You see, baptism is a place for faith. Baptism declares headship as well. He is the head over all principalities and powers. The old Bible says, here it is, powers and authorities. The headship of Christ is declared in baptism. Christ is in charge in this universe. God has given him all authority. One day we will stand before his throne, the judgment seat of Christ as believers, and give account for the things done in the flesh. So Christ is all in all. He is head over all. And when I walk into the baptistry, I am confessing and declaring that Christ is head, not just over the universe, but over me. That Christ is head over me. 
if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's the confession, the central confession of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the confession which we make. We call ourselves Jesus people here at First Baptist. And what we are saying is Jesus is Lord. He is head over all. You don't want to walk into the baptistry, into the waters of baptism, supposing that Jesus is not Lord or that he's not head in you. You're actually saying Jesus is Lord in me as you go in. You are declaring it to all as you go into the waters of baptism. Now, it's interesting here and in Galatians that baptism and circumcision are discussed together. And circumcision, you know, that's kind of a hard word, and you might be thinking, why didn't they think of some other word? You know, it's a a new translation. They're trying to put it into English that we understand. We don't use this word a whole lot, that we use it some. But why is it a theological word? It was the sign of the covenant. And this sign of the covenant was only for males in Israel, only for males in Jewish life. But baptism is now, in a way, the sign of the covenant. And so they are discussed together by the Apostle Paul in two or three places, including the place we've just read. And baptism is not just for the male. It's also for the female. It's not just for the Jew. It's also for the Gentile. It's not just for the person who has all of his faculties and everything uh, about him works fine. It's also for the person who may be disabled or in another way uh, not perfect like we might say. And baptism is for everybody, whether you're bond or free. And so that famous verse in Galatians chapter 3 is set in the context of baptism. And I want to read it for you. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I walk into the waters of baptism and I am confessing that Jesus alone is my Lord. That there's not another person who is my Lord. There's not something else that is my Lord. I've set aside all idolatry. Jesus alone is Lord in me. And that headship of Christ is direct to me, whoever I am, whatever color I may be, whatever culture I may be from. It is direct to me that Jesus is Lord in me. And it is the common confession of the Christian church around the world and through these generations, no matter where the church has taken root. And it is the common ordinance, this baptism that he has given us, which expresses his headship directly for every man and woman in the body. So I walk into the waters of baptism. I am saying, Jesus is head over me. If I don't want to say that, I don't want to go in those waters of baptism. Why would I go into baptism, following Jesus in baptism, being obedient to him if he's not head, if he's not Lord in me? Baptism declares not only the headship of Christ, but it declares death as well. The scripture says here, having been buried with him in baptism, and this is a common theme, okay? We are buried with him in baptism It declares the Savior's death. Christ died. Christ was buried. And this is what baptism means. 
I am declaring as I am baptized that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. And so I am buried in the waters as Christ was. And Christ wants you not only to know this truth, but to be this truth, to enter into this truth, to identify with him in his death. And so go into the place of burial with Christ so that it, I, I, am, uh, I crucify this flesh. Uh, I die daily, Paul said. Uh, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and given himself for me. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. All these verses are stating this truth. I go into the waters of baptism identifying with Jesus in his death. He died, I die too. There's a finality about this that is typified baptism in all generations and all cultures. If you are a young person who has trusted Christ, and this is different than what your parents' tradition might have been, they may say to you, well, that's okay. You go ahead and, and believe like you want. But if you go home and say, I want to be baptized, no, you may get, you may get refusal now. They may, they may say, no, you can believe what you want, but we're not going to be getting baptized. The truth is, all these generations, it's at the point of baptism where you go into the water as a believer and you say, Jesus is my Lord. There's a finality about that that the cultures have realized and recognized. So when I was in Cuba several years ago, the Cuban Christians told me, there are many communists here who have trusted Jesus as Savior, but they don't get baptized. Sometimes they even come to church, but they don't get baptized. Because if they get baptized, they can no longer be a member of the Communist Party. See, that's how it works. How it works. There's finality here. You can walk along with Jesus sort of in this private relationship of faith. But you take the step and say, okay, he says to be saved and be baptized. So, I'm going to be baptized. And you're leaving the world behind you. See, now, now you've really buried that old life. There are cultures where they have a funeral for you if you are baptized as a believer in Jesus. Where you're no longer welcome at the family gatherings. Where you can't come back. Because you've done something that is final. You have left the old life and taken on a new life. And you can't be in their culture anymore. Now, you know this intuitively. It's in your heart. You realize that to be baptized as a believer is a big thing. And it's going to be big for your family, maybe for your friends, maybe for your brothers or sisters or children or parents. But that's part of what baptism is, brothers and sisters. Part of baptism is burial. It's burying the old life. It's identifying with Jesus completely. It's saying, he alone is Lord in me. And there's a finality about that it, that is inescapable. It's my death to the old life, buried with him, 
Baptism is not only declaring death, it also declares resurrection, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith. There's faith again. This is a place for faith. You must trust Jesus as Savior before you go into the waters of baptism, and there is a new life that comes as you trust Christ as Savior, and you're declaring that. So you're identifying with the Savior, not only in the burial, the old life is gone. You're identifying with Him in the new life, the new life has come. You're confessing the resurrection of Jesus as you walk into those waters. For the Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's believing in Jesus that He was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. And you're confessing that as you go into the waters of baptism and you are baptized. The old life is gone, but a new life has come. It is the life of Christ. You and Jesus now share one life, and it is His. It is the life of Christ. His resurrection life is in you. You confess that as you go into the waters of baptism. Baptism also declares forgiveness He forgave us all our sins, verse 13 says, having canceled the charge that was against us. My sin goes down the drain. We're going to pull the plug on the baptistry after we baptize those 12 people, and all that water goes down the drain. Now, that's a picture, okay? Sin doesn't actually stick to water here in New Orleans as far as I know. But it's a powerful symbol, okay? You're not actually cleansed inside by the water on the outside. But the symbol is so powerful that when we experience baptism, there's a sense of that newness that comes. And it, it, it's powerful because that's what water does. I was cleaning the dishes this morning, running the water on those dirty dishes and watching as just all of the dirt just went off the dish and down the sink. My sin goes down the drain. He has forgiven us all our sin. One thing about sin, it's common to the human family. And when I talk about sin, I know everybody's got some. And some of us not only have sin, but we also have shame and guilt. And shame and guilt make us want a Savior. We want somebody to rescue us from the shame of what we've done and who we've been, the decisions we made, the people we hurt, or the guilt we feel about how we lived our lives. And we can't seem to forgive ourselves we can't wash ourselves we find ourselves in this quandary where we know we aren't who we are supposed to be nor who we want to be but we don't know how to get there the forgiveness of sin comes through the death of Christ upon the cross Jesus died for you and he loves to forgive sin I'm talking about the stuff you thought about before you opened the doors of the church when you came this morning. Might have been on your mind what you did last week. And you're wondering, do I really need to go to church having lived this way, having made these decisions, 
having behaved in this way? I mean, we ask that question sometimes. What am I doing here? I feel like a hypocrite. Before you ever came to Christ, God knew what your last week would be like. And the scripture says here that Jesus canceled the debt that stood against you and he nailed it to his cross. Everything that you think about, when you think about the stuff you've done wrong, Jesus already knew and it was on a list. There was a literal sign on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Pilate insisted on putting it there. But Paul the Apostle in this passage talks about something else that was nailed to the cross. And he uses that picture, nailed to the cross. And what was it? It was the list of all the things that you have done that were against God. The, the moral failures that have, that have happened in your life. And every one of those was on the list when Jesus died upon the cross. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now, forgiveness delivers to you something that nothing else. You can blame other people for your problems, but that doesn't really take it away. You know, you can rationalize and justify about your behavior, but that doesn't really take it away. Forgiveness delivers to you something that nothing else can, a cleansing on the inside. I mean, you can rise up from the presence of God, having confessed your sins unto Christ, knowing that he died for you and he paid the penalty for your sin. And you can know that you are completely clean on the inside. You can know that. And it is a wonderful sense of God's presence and power in your life to know that he has taken all your sin and dumped it in the depths of the sea and he remembers it no more against you. Have you experienced that? Do you know what it is to be forgiven by the holy God who set up the standard but then sent his son to satisfy that law and pay the penalty for your failure? That's what we... That's what we're saying when we say Jesus died for us on the cross. You need to appropriate all of this, okay? It needs to be in your life. You need to appropriate the gifts of forgiveness. Everything Jesus bought for you at Calvary, go ahead and get it. Don't drag around that sack of sin and guilt and shame anymore. Just appropriate the forgiveness of God in your life. Get your head up, get your shoulders straight, walk boldly in the world, have new confidence because you know you are forgiven and you are a child of God and He's accepted you into His family and you have appropriated all that Jesus did for you at Calvary. Amen. And to live with the sin and shame is just to not let the fullness of what God did for you at the cross be present in your life. He forgave us all our sin and He canceled the conviction of the law that was ours to pay. He took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross. Your baptism declares forgiveness. It's all grace. It's all God. But it declares that forgiveness as you go into the water. And it's a powerful picture of the cleansing. And baptism declares victory it's the victory of Christ which we celebrate as we go into the waters of baptism. Jesus has disarmed all that held us captive. The victory of Jesus is complete. He's won it all. He is King of kings. 
All authority given unto him in heaven and on earth. Your baptism is the announcement of this victory in the middle of the present conflict, a statement of faith that in Christ the victory has already been won. You walk into those waters as a victory celebration that in Christ we have been set free from the chains that bound us. Every evil force that seeks to put you down, everything that once held you back and held you down, you are claiming victory over those chains as you go down into the water. This is the power of Christ in you, celebrated in the ordinance of baptism. He made a public spectacle of them, the Bible says, triumphing over them by the cross. The death of Christ upon the cross was a terrible spectacle, a public assault upon the senses of sight and sound and smell. It was revolting and horrible, both in visual shock, in the carnage dealt to the human body, and the cries and pleas of the dying that hung upon the cross. If you were to be one of those people who walked by the cross on that road that passed by the foot of the cross, you would have seen these things and heard these things and smelled these things. Crucifixion was designed and intended to deliver this very shock and awe. All the conquered peoples of the Roman Empire, look up upon the cross. All you Jews, you stiff-necked Jews, look up on the cross. Look upon the crucified one. And tremble in fear before the power and resolve of the Roman Empire. Break our laws and we break you. A public spectacle of Roman power. And Jesus took that cross and he turned it inside out. He took the meaning that the Romans intended and he turned it upside down. And he did so through his resurrection three days later. See, the Roman Empire delivered to his body everything they could possibly do, not only to stop him, but to quell anybody who had a notion that they would follow Jesus. We'll stop this, and we hung him up on the cross. And three days later, he comes out of the grave, never to die again, announcing to all people, if you want freedom... If you want victory, if you want your sin forgiven, then you come to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who not only died and was buried, but on the third day rose again. This is life. This is life for you. This is truth. This is the way. This is announced in your baptism. Walk in it. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the great victory that you won at Calvary, that you implement in our lives through forgiveness of sin, through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, through Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray for that person who came still dragging a sack of shame and guilt around everywhere. Lord, that you would liberate them today. That they would place your, their faith in you. God, I pray for those who need to take the step of confessing you as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day. I pray for those who have halted at the point of baptism. 
and to this point have not followed through. Lord, I pray that you would give faith to be baptized. Lord, that they would obey your word and follow you though it cost you everything, whatever it costs, that we might confess you as head, as king, as Lord. God, do your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.